0: This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to Innovation in Compliance. In this podcast series, I will bring you interviews with some of the leading experts who are changing the way practitioners approach compliance. Although the name compliance is in the title, it's really about innovation. And I wanted to drive the conversation about innovation in compliance into the twenty. 30s and beyond with a focus on innovations for the compliance practitioner and the compliance professional. You want to learn how to bring your business into an innovative state and more innovative business solutions for compliance problems, issues, and concerns. This is the podcast for you. Innovation and Compliance is a production of Compliance podcast network. In this episode, I have a fascinating visit with Ed Parco. Ed is a very prominent practitioner of utilizing podcasting and social media as a marketing outreach, and I thought it had a lot of application for the corporate compliance professional trying to get communications and compliance messaging out. I know you'll enjoy it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back for another episode, and today you are in for a treat. And How do I know that? Because I'm in for a treat. I'm going to interview, visit, and generally have a chat with Ed Pericap. Ed interviewed me last week, and frankly, I found his story so intriguing, I asked him if I could interview him. So he graciously agreed to, and with that incredibly long-winded introduction, Ed, first of all, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you so much. First, I want to say my last name is Parco which is Arcot. okay because nobody gets it right. Never in my whole history of my life has anybody gotten it right, unless they're a French teacher, but yeah. So.
0: with someone who used to live next to Louisiana, I should have known better. Parcot. Okay.
1: Yeah, that's okay. It was Parcot up until I got in the Navy and started doing the modeling and acting when I was in San Diego, and I changed it to the French one just because it sounded better.
0: Very cool. <laughs> I did the same with Fox, which you have obviously guessed. Ed, what really intrigued me about your story is you have used audio, and you've used it in a variety of formats, and you've used it to get your message out, to market yourself, to bring in customers and clients. So I really wanted to explore that journey for you. Could you tell us about when you initially got into audio?
1: First, I sold by the phone for 18 years, and I didn't realize I had a deep voice. I, until I put headphones on back in 2018, because you never hear yourself. You only hear what you hear from the outside, from inside your head. You don't hear the voice. And I re- I realized why I did so well by the phone for so long is because people want, didn't mind talking to me in 2018. I've been in the mortgage industry, I don't know, 19 years, 20 years. And a lady came to me and said, would you like to do local talk radio? And first, my first question was, do people listen to radio still? Because at the time I only listened to my si- satellite music and stuff on my phone. I didn't listen to radio. And then I come to find out the talk radio is huge. More people listen to that station on a daily basis than anything else. They get between fifty-one to 71,000 listeners, which so are pretty big for Modesto, California, where we, our population is in Modesto is 230,000. So there's not a lot of people. So when they brought it to me, we worked it out. And so I've been on radio since 2018, still on it to this day. When I first got on there, one of the things I thought about is, all right, I'm stuck on this market right here. How do I get it into other markets? How do I take that same radio show and put it somewhere else? And so I started uploading it as a podcast. That was in 2018, and I've been doing it ever since. And that was my first into podcasting was just taking the radio show and bringing it over. Then I got into how do I do video because we were in the studio. And at that time you couldn't do video in the studio. So you'd have to bring somebody in with cameras. And it was a lot of work, but we did it for about a year.
0: Let's go back to the radio. What's the name of your radio show?
1: It's called, it's on my hat, but it's called real estate jerky. We give you something to
0: chew on. And tell us what you talk about on real estate jerky. We talk about,
1: so it's about real estate and mortgage, that kind of stuff. But really we talk community. When I first started the radio show, my wife said, nobody wants to hear about real estate and mortgages all the time. And so we started bringing in community, bringing in other people into the thing. And then we talk a little bit about where the market is and what's going on, but pretty much the show is about everything else in our community.
0: Who is your uh, partner or co-host?
1: I went through many of them just because it takes a unique individual to be able, if you know anything about radio, there's two types of people. There's a a starter and then the, and it's, I didn't understand all that until I got into the live stuff. And so my co-host is a local real estate agent. He's been in the business even longer than me. I think he's been in the business 40 years and we started doing a live Monday, Wednesday, and Friday before he came on radio. Cause I had a different co-host. She was actually the advertising person for my, the radio show and she was pretty good, but it was coming to an end where that was changing. And he had just started doing the live with me on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We do an eight 30 live on LinkedIn, YouTube, and Facebook. And the, and it was like effortlessly going back and forth and having the dialogue and, and joking and, and quick witted and all that it was just something you couldn't, it was perfect. And so I said, hey, do you want to try this on radio? And he's been on with me ever since. It's been almost a year now. And we get so many comments from people about listening to the show that we'll bring on a plumber, we'll bring somebody else on. And they're slammed afterwards because of all the business they get from the show. And everybody keeps saying you need to promote them. The problem is it's, I get 50% of my business from the radio show. And that's, I think that's a good thing with not having other people pay for my radio show. And now with having a real estate agent on there, there's this thing called RESPA. We have to split the cost. And so it's not that expensive like it used to be. When I first started, it was super expensive. And I after five years, I just told them, if you're going to keep the prices like this, I'm quitting. And they actually dropped it to half.
0: So what's it like for you in the community? Do people say, I recognize your voice? Do they call you by name? What happens when you're at the grocery store?
1: So I was, so I'm in Rotary and I'm the president of Rotary. This my Rotary this year, Sunrise Rotary. And I was at an event up in like Stockton, which is a ways from me. And we were doing an installation dinner and, and I talked to two people and I said, I'm, he goes, I know who you are. You're the real estate jerky guy. And, and then somebody else goes, oh, that's who you are. And so people know who I am. They don't always state that to me. And it was funny because I've helped a lot of people with mortgages and we got rid of this thing the other night and The wife went to the husband. Do you know who that is? That's the guy that. And it's funny because you're somebody, you're a celebrity to somebody. I don't care who you are. And the radio show, I just want to get the information out there. I want people to be educated. That's why I started the show was so many millennials saw their family lose their house during the Great Recession and thought, I never want to own a home. And I wanted to change that narrative. I wanted to educate them on why they should be owning a home and why it's so important. That's why we bring in financial planners, CPAs, accountants, you name it. We bring them in to talk about everything about that kind of stuff.
0: How has doing uh, a radio show improved you as a real estate agent or real well, estate in I'm the a business? Mor- I'm, a
1: mortgage, I'm a mortgage guy. The other person is a real estate guy. So I'm the mortgage. I've been in mortgages since, I don't know, 91. And that's what, and so the the radio for me has opened up doors for everything else. I was put into a documentary because they knew I had a radio show and I was a mortgage guy on a radio show. So they interviewed me. It was a documentary called Hacking Real Estate. First it was called something else, but they changed it to Hacking Real Estate because everybody's into that word now, hacking. And it was put out there about how did people make money In real estate, it was everybody who made money over the last five years in real estate, how did they do it and everything. And they talked to me about, because I had made some statements about how come we're not going to have a bubble and certain things that were going on. And they wanted me to explain that. So I was in there for about, they interviewed me for two hours and they put an hour and a half of the video into the documentary.
0: What's the difference in a mortgage broker and a real estate agent?
1: A real estate agent only works on doing the, listing the property and selling the property. A mortgage broker handles the financing of the property. I'm the one that can tell you whether or not you can actually afford to buy that house. I'm the one that brings back you back to reality. The real estate agent takes you out and gets you all hyped up to buy the house. I'm the one that says whether or not you can do it. And what I like about this side of it is I can help so many people understand that they can do it. And that's why I wrote my book that came out in February of this year and it got Amazon bestseller in two categories called Financial Freedom, Building Personal Wealth Through home ownership. And the reason I wrote that book is there's only one of me. And I do it a differently, different way than other people do it. And I qualify a different way and I explain things a different way. And I want, I can't teach it the way I want to teach it to other loan officers, or other people. So I thought if I put in a book, you could read my book, understand how everything should be. So if you went to somebody, wherever it else in the United States, you'd be able to understand what they should be telling you. And so all these three things that I've done that I've just spoke about, I did, and I didn't really understand it at the time, but I was to be the authority in my industry.
0: My limited work with mortgage brokers, the best ones, had a very, I don't want to say large vision, but they had a very big picture of the market. And they could explain to me where the market might, where it was, where it might be going, and where I might best slot into that. Are those... uh... Is that a fair characterization of some of the things you do?
1: Yeah, very much. I all I'm doing is talking now. I talk I do, from my radio show. I do ten lives a week regarding real estate and what's going on in the market. So I do a, a Monday through Friday. This is like when you we talked and you said you should do a daily podcast. So we do Monday through Friday, which is a, a live that we turn into a podcast and we talk about what's going on in the market. And today, my co-host who wasn't here, but I talked about how. If you look at the inventory nationwide, right now, we only have 552,000 homes on the full market through the whole United States, which is normally about 1.2 million. So there's no way to have a bubble if you don't have the inventory. In 2008, our our bubble was because we had 3.5 million properties on the market nationwide, not 552,000. So if you understand the numbers, if you understand what's going on, you can make educated decisions. And that's the most important thing. And that's why I do what I do, I, why I put all that information out there to help people get educated so they can understand what's important and what's really, because everybody's afraid because interest rates are so high to cover what they're used to. I got into this industry at nine. We might be getting there again, but that's where I got into this industry.
0: I've been buying houses since 1984. Yeah. I've seen them high. That's what I laughed to my wife about because she's only lived in America for 15 years. It can be very different, believe me. So I live in near a town of 21,000 people. And real estate touches, I was trying to think through the number of topics it touches. And just while you were talking, I listed 10 or 15 in my head, maybe 20. Are you able to really talk about the breadth and scope of Housing, employment, financing, taxes, schools, school choice, voting patterns. I mentioned hiring, employment, employers bringing in new employees, meaning do you have enough housing, cost of housing. Do you have the ability or do you guys really touch on that broad a scope of issues? We touch on a lot of those issues. We talk about why, see, in our town, we
1: used to build a thousand homes a year. We we're building a hundred homes a year. There's one, so California is like the worst state to try to build anything and it takes forever. And there's so much regulation and that's why we're in the situation we're in. Places like Tampa, Florida is in a totally different situation. We just interviewed somebody from there last weekend on the radio show and their market, they got a three month supply. Their median is 400 and, and then the next step is 800. But you can't have hospitality workers come to your town and, and buy a home for 400,000 when the average home right now A medium price point home, you have to make $115,000 to afford that home.
0: And if I could even take it a step further, I got interested in either the coming conflict with China or the competition with China. turns out that the U.S. lumber industry's number one customer is the country of China. And my question that I pose in a podcast is, what happens if you lose your biggest customer? How are you going to replace that? And my answer was, could we reshore that lumber and try to address the ho- housing crisis for first-time family homeowners, for those hospitality workers, those teachers, those firefighters, those policemen who want to live in a Modesta, who want to live in a Kerrville, Texas, and want to live in a town and be a public servant in those towns? Are there ways we can have that discussion, or is it that just too political?
1: I don't shy away from political things. That's why I'm on talk radio. I'm at the point where I think most of us are in the middle. We just have the fringes on the outside that are the loudest. And that's what we hear and we run away from. But back to the subject. So in California, we had $200 million, I'm sorry, $300 million to help people buy a home, right? They give them up to 20% down. This was at a time where we had no inventory. So that what, we, so in that, tw- that 20, I'm uh, sorry, that 300 million went in seven, almost eight days. And the problem was it went to million dollar homes because those are in LA and other places. So it only helped about 230 people in the whole, or couples in the whole state of California. I said, if you took that same money and help buy the cost of the land and the permits and everything down, you'd save about a hundred to $125,000 on the home. Then if you take that same thing and build those houses in a factory, I don't know if you've seen this, but they're building houses in the factory. I'm not talking manufactured, which is most people think of mobile homes. I'm talking modular where they build the whole house except for the last 10% and they bring it out on site and put it together because every house is a box. So they can build them three shifts a day, seven days a week or even five days a week and put out a house every six weeks. The thing about it is, it's perfect. There's no issues with it. You have a supervisor there every day checking to make sure everything there. They can do it twenty percent cheaper. So if you do those two things, you've now just addressed the housing affordability for most areas. Because if the average <laughs> home is five hundred thousand, you just took a hundred grand off of it. That's and another hundred and twenty-five off on the bottom side. Now that we're talking three hundred to three fifty.
0: Let me change the focus over to podcasting, uh, as that's where we met. You talked about repurposing or reposting your live show as a podcast. Uh, how has the response been to you simply doing that?
1: It's huge. I went I've, and I use a couple different softwares to do it now. And I had my first viral video for somebody who doesn't really post that much. I, I think it's still going at 735,000 people viewed that one video, which is big for me because I, up until that point, it was only been, 20,000, 30,000 views. I think the most important thing to do when you're repurposing your content is, especially even a podcast, you definitely want to put it on YouTube, but you want to cut it up to where you have three and five minute segments. But the most important thing also to do is cut like three shorts and have three shorts, at least two different other segments of your podcast. So people can go to it real quick. And I think doing those things, there's a huge, it'll change everything about your podcast. But the problem you run into is that's a lot of work for most people, and most people doing podcasting, you need to get somebody to help you do those things.
0: Well, you also shared with me a great shortcut to help you do that. You want to talk about that?
1: I just wish I had my affiliate link with me. Anyway, when's this airing? It's.
0: I can get the affiliate link up in time.
1: No worries. All right, so it's I go get Opus Pro that dot com. That's Opus Pro is the software that. changed my life where you drop your video in there and it will create probably 10 different little shorts. You you can ask it to do 30 seconds, 60 to 90 seconds, 30 to 60 seconds. You can tell it what you want to do. You can put in the the keywords you want it to focus on and it will grab those clips. But now they even added B-roll. And I've been part of the beta testing for the B-roll, which has made a huge change because if you know anything about if you listen to everything about YouTube and everything about certain things it's when people are watching this, they need to be, have that pattern interruption so that they, you, you watch where they stop watching your video at. You put a pattern interruption in there and it's amazing how they stay till the end. And everything's about a hundred percent view or 90% view or 120 some, you want to, that's how your stuff goes viral is because of those views and the B roll makes a huge change. I watched it take a normal video of mine that I normally get three to 500 viewed to go up to 5,000.
0: What's a B roll?
1: b-roll is this additional like you'll see you watch a video and they're saying and we're and then today we're talking about money and all of a sudden there's a screen about money and it's going across the money and then it goes back to the the viewer the person that was talking so it's that additional it's what they do in movies they put coming to a movie it shows the town as they're talking into the same thing it just adds extra video inside of it to add that little pattern interruption and it's starting to do really well
0: could you talk to us about your video experience
1: overall, I never had any until I learned it all myself.
0: All right. Tell us about from there forward. So basically
1: one of the things I wanted, so I had somebody handling all my social media for a year. It was a lot of money and I got a lot more. So on my Instagram, I think I'm at 22,000. My, my YouTube channel is about 13, almost 13,000. My, my TikTok's at 15,000, but when somebody else was doing it, I was probably half of that. And I took it away from them in October of 22. I didn't even look at any of my social media stuff or do any posting except for my lives for almost the next year. I've only been posting for the last 60 days using the software and the technology that I found. And the reason I'm doing it is I have my degrees in, in marketing, bachelor's in marketing and master's in marketing. And I used to do all the marketing for all my companies and then we direct mail everything. So I'm like, I know what people want. I know on TikTok, it's about the, how do you put this nicely, pissing people off, basically. The same reason to get them to call on the radio show live, they want to make a statement. It's the same thing on TikTok. They want to make a statement of how bad you are, how horrible you are, whatever. That's okay. Bad engagement is the same as good engagement. Any engagement works to get your numbers up. So I started going through and seeing what worked. And that's how I learned everything about video. I, I can take really good pictures with cameras and I've had many different, webcams, but now I use only DSLRs because it makes you look better and it blurs out your background.
0: And then how... Uh, can Did you, I answer uh, your question?
1: This, I'm sorry. It's, I'm so used to being on your side, not on this side.
0: So. Can you assess the difference between your audio and video or is it really the quality of the shorts that's driving the engagement, whether it's audio or video?
1: Yeah, it's the quality of the shorts. It's not the quality of video because I think the More normal looking stuff does better than perfect stuff. It's just how, what are you explaining? And the one thing about that software that we were talking about, Opus Pro, is it'll come up with a unique phrase for the video that gets people's attention automatically it is ai is driven this whole ever since ai came out in november of last year when it came with chat gpt and i was using it back then to create all the different stuff that i needed for descriptions and everything else before all this other software came out and it's just the being able to get that stuff posted there's only 24 hours in a day and you ha- there's only, and there's only, you need a huge team. I had a huge team doing this. I took it over and I don't have that huge team, but the reason I'm doing it is because I'm going to hand it off eventually. And I'm going to tell them this is exactly what I'm looking for. And this is exactly what it needs to be. I'll still be involved with it. Just not doing the di- the little bit. I hope I answered your question, but it's the most important thing is getting it out and getting the message out.
0: What do you say to the small businessman about whether or not they should have a podcast?
1: I think they should definitely have a podcast. And why is that? Because how are people going to find you? One thing I was told is I was the best kept secret. I worked with only so many agents and I did amazing for them, but I didn't do anything for other people and nobody knew who I was. The radio changed that, the podcasting changed that. And, that. and on top of that, I can talk to people all over the world and have conversations with them and then learn from them. It's like going to a, a mastermind or something else. You get to interview people and understand things about them. And also you get little information that you can use in your business and then you can promote your business. It's a win for everybody. And the other thing you could do, I was, cause I was telling this to a trade organization lady. I'm like, this is what you should do. You should come take a promotion on our radio show. And she comes in and talks about how they get the people from high school into trades. Cause we're so short on trades. It's ridiculous. Everybody's retiring or, or at that age or so getting ready to, and we need more. I'm like, what you can do is have them have one of your people in your organization that you sponsor the different types of trades, have them come in and talk each week about different things. And that would promote their business, to help promote you. There's so much you can do. Engage your customers to come on your podcast. There's a lot of stuff you can do to get people involved.
0: The, let me go back to housing. <laughs> because that's something we talk about, think about in my little town literally live every day. We, we live sleep in
1: it. in it. We sleep in it. It touches everything. Real estate touches everything because I and, I was going to do a five-day-a-week radio show, and they're like, we don't want you to talk about real estate. I'm like, you don't understand. It's
0: Everything's about real estate. And I look at my daughter or her friends in their mid-20s and ask, when are they going to be able to buy a house? And, and I talked about the school teachers. Well, my mother was a school teacher for 35 years. Her top salary was $36,000. That was her top. How are we going to get those people in housing? And so it's something that, Texas. We talk about it all the time. And I guess now talking to you, everybody talks about it mm-hmm. all the time. Are there discussions of ways to make improvements? You gave us two, just from the state of California. Are these ongoing discussions?
1: No, because the biggest problem right now is our rates are so high because we have a government who thinks spending is where you, how you fix things and you keep spending and you have a Fed trying to stop the inflation, but you can't have people on a, if, you, if you're if you in a household and you have a husband and wife or whatever your makeup is, and you're both not on the budget, it doesn't work. Same thing here. We got the Fed trying to fix it and you got the government still spending. You can't fix this inflation issue with that happening. So nobody's focused on it right now. They're just focused on everything else and all the services. But back, you're in Texas is what you said, right? Right. Yeah. The problem with Texas, and this is not negative, is if you own an investment property, whatever your value of your home goes up each year, that's what you have to pay taxes, right? That taxes increase to that. Where California, we're at 3% of that max. Prop 13. You guys are max 10% on your primary residence a year. So your taxes double every 10 years. If you own uh, residential, your stuff, every time the value goes up and these damn Californians and other people come in and raise the prices, you get to a point where you're priced out of the market and you can't afford your home when you retire. That's the problem with Texas. That's what you need to fix in Texas is you need to get a Prop 13 in to where they can't raise the taxes like that.
0: So I remember Prop 13 campaign, Howard Jarvis. Tell everybody what Prop 13 was and what it is today.
1: What it is today for us, because in the 70s, I didn't really know what was going on because I was real young. But it was to protect people from property taxes going up and the max. Whatever your value of your house goes up, they can only tax you 3% of that a year to protect people from. And I look at it as protects people from being priced out of their house. State of California hates it because there's all these properties in Malibu that were from the 50s and 40s actors and 50s actors and 60s actors who had those houses and they've been passing on to their generations, their kids, and the taxes haven't went up on them. And that's what they don't like. But it protects us so that we don't have to worry about being priced out of our home because of our taxes. So if we pay off our house, the taxes doesn't jack up so much that we can't afford a home anymore.
0: Does the tax rate change as the house is sold? Through a trust,
1: the tax base goes up, but the actual taxes do not.
0: And if it's a sell to an arm's length buyer, such as you to me.
1: Then it goes up. Yeah. The only time it goes up is if you sell it on the open market to somebody else. But if you transfer it through a trust, through your family, it, never, it doesn't go up. But the, the basis goes up. So when they go to sell it, they don't have to pay taxes on it.
0: Ed, you've told us about your book, your radio show. Where, if listeners wanted more information on you, your radio show, your services, your book, what would be the best place or places for them to go?
1: I'm Ed Parco everywhere. That's P-A-R-C-A-U-T. So every social media is Ed Parco. My website's edparco.com. And it has all my information there, has all my information on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter or x i guess now and youtube i have all these different channels that have all the different videos because that was the one thing is i i did was nobody on any of the stuff and then two, it was like should i start just start and then two years later you're gonna go holy cow i have 1500 videos on there i have this I, there's so much you the daily show that you told me the other day that you definitely need to do a daily show we started it almost eight months ago but we didn't start posting as a podcast up until two months ago when it's, you got 70 shows already because you do it five days a week. So it's important to do that. So if you're going to start a podcast, start a daily, like you say to do. And a lot of people are going to go, but I can't do that. Just make it 10
0: minutes. Ed, I wanted to thank you again for taking the time to come on the podcast with me. I greatly enjoyed being interviewed by you. I've greatly enjoyed visiting with you for, this is going to go up on several of my podcasts and I hope we can continue this conversation.
1: Anytime, call me anytime. I'll be on here anytime you want me.
0: This is Tom Fox again. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of Innovation in Compliance. We've linked to Dr. Lazuni's LinkedIn profile in the show notes as well as to aware.com. I hope you will check out their site. As I said in the intro, they are doing some very interesting things around biometric data and compliance. This will be the final episode for Innovation and in Compliance in 2023. I want to wish all of our listeners a most joyous and happy holiday season. And I hope you'll plan to join us in 2024 for Innovation in Compliance. Innovation and in Compliance is a production of the award-winning Compliance Podcast Network.